let's just take a few moments just to give praise and adoration to God just in your own hearts would you lift up an attribute of God that you can give praise to him about let's adore him let's adore him for his nature for his the the justice and the mighty warrior that he is and the justice that he brings let's uh let's give just a moment of silence for us to lift up in our hearts an attribute of God. Lord, when we sing a song like that, we do so in all of you. We do it mindfully, and we do it in worship. There is no other God. You are it. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are the mighty one. And Lord, as we look at this world that we live in, and we see the injustices that fly in the face of God, the way that man has treated you, the way that man has turned their back on you. And yet you've extended your hand of grace to humanity. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. But we know that there is a day of reckoning. There is a day when you will right what is wrong. And there is a day that we will all stand before you and we're told in your word that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, Lord, as we worship you today, we're mindful of that. We're in all of you, God. You are so incredible. We are unworthy of you to speak your name. But we thank you that because we are your sons and daughters, because those of here, here that have confessed Jesus as their Lord, we've been adopted as sons, that we have been adopted into your family, and we're your children. And as your children, we give you praise. We love you. Lord, we're mindful that you are at work. You're at work not only in our region, but you are the God who orchestrates all events all around the world. And even where we think that there is no gospel proclamation, we know the general revelation that the, the, the creation screams out that God exists. We know that all, all humanity is accountable for what they see in creation. And we know that your word of God has been revealed and that your son is being proclaimed around the world. And Lord, we want to thank you for the work that you're doing through, through Pastor Ramazan and many other believers in the country of Turkey. Lord, we lift that country up to you. 75 million people and so many, so many without Christ. So many lost. Lord, if there is a dark place in the world, it's there. It's a place that needs the gospel. And I'm so thankful for what Pastor Ramazan and his church and his family, his wife, what they're doing in that community and in that country. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless them 
as they continue to build, in a sense, an Antioch type of ministry that will be used as it has been already to launch other church plants. And we just pray for your blessing upon that. We pray that you would bless uh, Ramazan as he raises up his leadership team and as he works with the new believers in, in his church, many who have come from Islam. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help them to understand the God of the, of the scriptures, understand Jesus Christ, understand how your Holy Spirit wants to work in their life. I pray that you would use them. And give Ramazan and Karen the wisdom as they raise their family as well. I pray that you would be with them, Lord, and encourage them. Lord, we also want to thank you that we are a part of a community of believers in this community. We want to thank you for Pastor Joe at the Canton Grace Brethren Church. We want to pray that your hand of blessing would be upon what they're doing there. We pray that you would use them. May they, may they excel in the gospel. May you grow their church in such a way that many people would come to faith in Christ that they could not hold all the people to contain what you're doing there. Would you please do that work in that ministry? Lord, as we give our offerings, Lord, we want to do it with the right heart. We want to give our offerings because we're mindful that we submit to you, that everything that we have is yours, everything. You've given it to us, every provision. Help us not to be selfish and to hoard it. Help us to be responsible and not to spend it, but help us to do what is right in your eyes and help us to be sacrificial and giving to your mission, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would do that work. As, as you take these offerings, would you take them like loaves and fishes and then that you would expand them, that you would use it in a profound way that we wouldn't even see. So Lord, multiply this ministry and, and Mission View. And we pray that Mission View would continue to grow and to prosper in the gospel as well. In Christ's name.
going to have you remain standing as I read Romans chapter 1. And uh, I'm having you do that because in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, when they finally brought back the Word of God and they, they read it out loud, everybody in just spontaneous love for God just stood in awe and in respect of Him. So as I read Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, you'll see it on the screen, but just think about what God is speaking to your heart today as Pastor Ramazan is going to be coming and preaching from this passage here in a little bit. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may know, I may, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greek and to the barbarian, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God's blessing be on his word. You may be seated. Today I have the privilege of introducing my friend. I call him my favorite Turk. Okay, Ramazan is, uh, I'll let him tell you a little bit about the work that he has done in, uh, in Talia. Um, and he is, they are seeing churches planted in Alanya, the church that we are supporting, Hyrie and, and his wife, Layla, they're in Alanya. And we are privileged that Ramazan is the one that's kind of developing the lead, he is developing the leaders, and he is seeing these churches planted in many places in Turkey. And there's a desperate need for that, and you'll hear that come out in his heart. Now, I have an apology right up front with Ramazan. When I was there in Turkey at his church, he gave me the privilege of preaching, 
and I took about an hour and 20 minutes in my message, so he doesn't get that much time here. So that's my apology. I was working through Translator, and I think it's the longest message on record for the, their <laughs> church, okay? In fact, the translator after, afterwards said, hey, you did three messages all at one time. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a little long. So anyways, I love my brother, I love his wife, I love their family, and it's a privilege to have you, Ramazan. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Good morning. I'm so honored to be here and to share the word of the Lord with you guys. And as uh, Pastor Steve said, he came to our church, and I'm so glad that we have that kind of relationship between your church and our church. And he preached one and a half hour, and it's time to take revenge <laughs> for me. My name is Ramazan Arkan, and I'm the pastor of Antalya Evangelical Church in Turkey. Turkey is a country that's 75 million population, and there is only between three and 4,000 Turkish Christians in whole country. And I live in Antalya. Antalya is a beautiful city close to Mediterranean Sea. The population of Antalya is 2 million, but there is only 220 Turkish Christians, as we know, in whole city. And also, if you look at the Bible, you see that uh, book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 24 and 25, you will see that Antalya also mentioned in the Bible. And today, I want to share with you the message that comes from Romans chapter 1. But I want to start by taking your journey with me to the city of Antalya first. I want you to imagine standing on a mountaintop and overlooking a city that more than 2 million people in it. Most of these people, either culturally or conservatively, are Muslim. The majority of them have never heard the gospel message before. Not only they have not heard, but worse than that, if you try to share the good news with them, they will most likely give you a very hard time for it. Because Turkish culture believes that Christianity is a very, is very shameful things to study or follow. Most of the people in Turkey who hear the gospel message are like the Greeks and Jews during Paul's time. For some of them, gospel is embarrassing. For some of them, gospel is foolishness. And for some of them, gospel is even very dangerous. Turks have been taught wrongly about Christianity. And because of these misconceptions, those who do understand and put their faith in the message of Jesus Christ will most likely be rejected by their family and friends. Let me explain just how negatively Christianity viewed by my society. We can do this comparing it how Muslims view homosexuality. In Turkish culture, in my culture, homosexuality is a very shameful thing. If you are a gay, you keep it a secret. Most Turks would never publicly reveal their gay identity. And families would be very ashamed to know if one of their own was homosexual. 
That being said, I have a friend who became a Christian from Islamic background. His family, very conservative Muslim. After he became a Christian, they rejected him and he faced many challenges during his faith. On the day that he told his mom about his faith, she became a very angry with him. And she said to him that she is very ashamed of him. And then she said, I wish you would have told me that you were a gay rather than a Christian. Think about that. Do you see how shameful it is to be a Christian in my society in Turkey? Another way you can see how Muslim Turks view Christianity is by watching television. For example, there are many Turkish movies set during the times of crusade. These movies usually paint a picture that the Muslims of that time of that time were right, just, and moral. In the contrast, the Christian in these films are usually drunk and dirty, murdering and raping, portrayed like animals. They are the wicked, evil character. The negativity about Christianity even come, comes out of in Turkish proverbs and saying. For example, in English, if you have a broken relationship with someone, you may say, that person is dead to me. But in Turkish, you may say, uh, but in Turkish, you would say, that person is priest to me, the Christian priest to me. In your culture, you may call someone who looks poor, messy, and dirty a bomb. But in Turkish culture, you say this kind of person looks like a priest, like Pastor Steve. <laughs> I have learned not to care what people think or say about me. Hopefully, these examples paint a clear picture of what Christianity looks like in my society. When I was, when I was a little boy, when I play outside, I usually got dirty and messy. And when I come home, when my mom saw me in that uh, dirty look, and she got very angry with me, and she was always yelling at me, telling me that I look like a priest. I think my mom had a gift of prophecy because now I became a priest. <laughs> I became a Christian 17 years ago. All these years, I have faced many challenges. Because of my faith, my relatives rejected me and my friends all gave up on me. I have been kicked out of places after I share my faith. Some have mocked me and some have sworn at me. And as I shared with you before, that my life also had been threatening many times. I know that the people in my society who persecute the Christians do this because of how they have been raised. 
They have been taught wrongly about Christianity. They believe that Christians are immoral and dangerous. Because of all these misconceptions, it is important that Turkish believers stand up and boldly proclaim the truth. But I cannot say that it is easy or without risk. I have learned not to care what people think or say about me. And even regardless of what they may do to me, I will remain among them and continue to share the gospel message with them because I am not ashamed of gospel message because I believe it is the power for salvation. In order to proclaim the gospel boldly without shame, I first have to close my ears to what people say and open them what God says about me. I have to know who I am in Christ. If you don't want to be ashamed of gospel, this is what we need to do. We need to know who we are in Christ. And we need to know who Christ is. And also, we need to know how important is the message that we believe. And also, we need to know why we are here. What is our purpose in this life? I want to share with you these points. First, I want to share who we are in Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ. When we look at the Romans chapter 1, on the surface, it looks like a description of character of Paul. It is as if he is introducing himself to us. But when we look closer, we see that Paul's entire identity is wrapped in who Christ is and what Christ did in his life. Paul, a servant of Christ, called by Christ, set apart for Christ, through Him, for His namesakes. All that makes up the person of Paul depends on the person of Christ. Everything that he has, he has because of Christ. His entire description of himself in this introduction is based on the fact that he belongs to Christ. And interestingly, he described himself as a slave of Christ. How do we typically describe our identity in Christ? We focus on the things like the, we are the apple of God's eyes and the bride of Christ, friends of God and children of God and daughters and sons of the King and so on. Praise the Lord that these things are, are all true. Praise the Lord that we have a rich identity in Christ. And we should be thankful for this. And we should meditate on it. And live our lives according to it. But this is not all that we are. Like Paul says, we are also slaves of Christ. Why do we often overlook this aspect of our identity? Probably because we don't like the idea of being a slave. We want to be master. We want to live our life according to how we want it. Yet, 
This is how Paul described himself. Think about that. In Romans culture at that time, being a slave was very humiliating and shameful things to be. Slaves didn't have any rights. They were property of their owners. They were forced to do whatever their master wants them to do. Yet, Paul uses this analogy to describe his relationship to Christ. Even his other letters, Paul talks about being a slave. He says that we are either a slave of sin or slave of Christ. No one is free. We might think that we are free, but no one is free according to Bible. Paul had been a slave to sin, but because of what Jesus did for him and the price that he paid for his sin, Paul voluntarily became a slave of Christ. With Jesus as his master, Paul knew that he must obedient to boldly proclaim the good news to the others. We also believe that Jesus is our master, isn't it? Also, our master gave us the same duty that we should take the gospel to the ends of the world. That's what he is saying in Matthew chapter 28. He gives us command. Do we obey our master? Do we do what he wants us to do? Like we experience in Turkey today, the message that Paul was giving to share in his time was considered foolishness. At that time, the Greeks had many gods. These gods were powerful, strong, and wise. For them, Jesus was poor carpenter who was killed on a cross by Roman soldier, by the order of Roman governor, And he was said to be God, but live as a human among people who took his life in the most shameful way, a death on a cross. There wasn't much about Christ that was appealing. For them, he seems poor, weak, and helpless. The idea that Jesus could be a God was an acceptable message for Paul's audience. Yet Paul introduced Christ as his master, and he introduced himself as a slave of Christ, and also he encouraged people to become a slave of Christ. 98% of Turks are Muslims. Muslims believe that Jesus was just a man, a good prophet, but certainly not God. When we tell them that he was God in human form and died on the cross for their sin and rose from the dead, this message doesn't fit into what they have learned about who God is. They have been taught that God is big and powerful and unreachable. 
And to say that God could have became a man and die on a cross as an insult for Islamic Turkish culture. When I talk to people about my faith, they often agree with me about many things that I say. But when I start talking about the deity of Christ and what he did on the cross, then they became angry and they reject this message because they think that it's a foolishness. It's embarrassing for them. As it is in Islamic culture, the idea of Christ and his death was considered foolishness in Paul's day. Paul found his security and pride in following the law. But when he met with Jesus and his eyes were open and he realized that it was actually what he was living for that was foolishness. He understood that it was only Christ who could take away his shame. When he understood this, he was able to share the gospel message without shame. He could say with pride that he was slave to Christ. I cannot be shamed of Jesus because he wasn't shamed of me. He took my shame from me and cleansed me. Knowing him and telling others about my relationship with him should, we, uh, should be something I do with pride. When we met celebrity, what do we do? We usually take a picture with them and put it on the Facebook, isn't it? Because we want everybody that we know that they will see that we met with that person. When I was in California, San Luis Obispo, three years ago, I met Chuck Liddell. Do you guys know him? He is the ice man, the UFC fighter. He was sitting on Starbucks with his girlfriend. They had a very serious conversation. I think he or she are, are trying to broke up. And when I saw him, I recognized him. And then what I did, I went to him and I asked to take a picture with him. And he didn't reject me and we took a picture together. And then I sent this picture to my friend and then he put it on the Facebook and he wrote those things. <laughs> of all the art artists and philosophers and leaders across the history, my friend, none of them as famous as Jesus. Even the timeline of our history is stated according to Jesus' birth and death. We are now in 2014. After that, Jesus lived over 2,000 years ago. He didn't write a single book, but there are millions of books about him and his teaching. And he didn't paint a single picture, but he is the subject of many works of art by famous painter. He didn't write a single poem or song, but there are millions of written about him. He never built an army, but there are people who are willing to die for him. He wasn't educated, 
But there are many schools and universities and hospitals named after him. He is the most famous person in our world. And we belong to him. He is the most famous person in our world that you and I have close relationship with him. And we have a rich identity in him. Our identity is in him. We are his slave and he is our master. Why would we ever be shamed of him and his message? He didn't reject us. How could we reject him? My brother and sister, to the world, it might be foolishness to follow Jesus Christ. But for us, it is to be honor to follow Jesus Christ. Because he is the king. He is the savior. And he is our master. And we belong to him. If you know who Christ is and who you are in Christ, you can never be shamed of gospel. And the second, that if you don't want to be shamed of the gospel, we need to know what we believe. There was once an article in Washington Post about famous violence named Joshua Bell. Ticket to Joshua in concert for sold about $50 to $100 a piece. His violin alone was worth it about $3.5 million. One day, the Washington Post make experiment. Joshua took his violin and set apart inside a shopping center. He opened his violin case to collect donation. Joshua played for nearly an hour and earned $33. The people who were out shopping at that day didn't know who Joshua Bell was. They may have appreciated his music, but they didn't know how famous he was. They didn't know what he was worth. They had no idea what someone, some people would pay for a ticket to hear him in concert. In the same way, those who don't understand the message of gospel don't know how valuable it is, how important it is. But for those of us who believe the message of Jesus Christ is precious to us, isn't it? The first century believers took the gospel message around the world. Millions of people believed and experienced total life change. The cultures were affected and reforms were made. Do you think that the believers of that day were more talented and gifted than we are? Or more courageous? Did they have more resources than we do? Of course not. Then what was the differences? The reason that there was so much revelation at that time was simply because the message of the gospel reached deeply into their hearts. The message of the gospel was the power of God because it saved people from eternal separation from God. 
in order to be motivated to share the message of Jesus Christ without shame, it's necessarily for us to know what we believe. We must be convinced that the gospel has the power to save and change lives. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul's talk about sin. He talk about the bad news. He says that everyone has been separated from God by sin. We are dead in our sin. We are helpless and hopeless without God. In order to understand the good news, we have to first understand and acknowledge the bad news. Then what is the good news? The good news is Jesus came to the world and took our sin upon himself and paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. He opened the door for our eternal salvation. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has eternal life. This is the gospel message. This is the good news. The Bible tells us that the faith in Jesus Christ is only way to be saved. Those who do not follow Jesus Christ will not be saved. Think about that. If we believe this message is the truth, then it will be very important to us that everyone has a chance to hear it, isn't it? I believe the message of Jesus Christ is the only good news. There is no more good news. That's the only good news. I believe it has the power to radically change and save lives. We see this in the life of Paul, and I experienced this in my life. And also, we see this in the lives of countless people throughout the history who put their faith in Jesus Christ.